0: Your portal to the world of tech and social media. It's Sunday Social with Vaughan Davis. On Radio Live.
1: to Sunday Social. I'm Vaughan Davis with you right through till 8 o'clock. Show number 208. Thank you so much, so much for joining us tonight. I would love you to be part of the show. Text me 3920 keyword live or you can probably just text 3333 keyword Vaughan and and, and vote for me. Hell, I might win Dancing with the Stars without even dancing. That would be a way to do it. Uh, Or you could tweet me. Tweet me at Vaughan Davis and I will both reply to you and incorporate your witticisms in the show. Later on Kate Owen, who, big news drum roll, had a birthday yesterday. Happy birthday, Kate, is joining us despite it being B plus one, birthday plus one, and we're gonna get the lowdown on influences. Not not the lowdown on influenza, that's an entirely different thing, although similarly viral. Uh, We're going to get good Gmail news for all you secret squirrels out there. And I know a lot of you have got secrets, but you still want to email people. We've got the answer. And and I'm sort of sitting on the fence on this one. A gadget. A gadget and an app for finding out exactly to the millimetre where that dirty rat in your wallboards is. (laughs) High tech, though. First, though... Blockchain, Bitcoin, cryptocurrency, cyber security, they're all hot topics these days. But when you say the B word, the, uh, the blockchain word, you generally get two reactions from people. What is it? And where can I buy one? And sometimes, uh, worryingly, both those reactions come from the same person. Well, here to clear the clutter and to explain the murky world of blockchain to us is Aaron McDonald, CEO and founder of Auckland Blockchain Studio Centrality. Aaron, welcome to the show. Hey Vaughan, how's it going? It's going really well. It's going really Well, Well, Am I am I right? Am I right? Is the, is the world of, uh, of blockchain and, and cryptocurrencies largely populated by people who either don't know what's going on or just want in?
2: Yeah, I think there's a certain amount of that um, happening. I think um, it's, it's certainly early days in the adoption cycle and a lot of people uh, who are getting into it really don't understand fully what it's all about um, and they're kind of jumping on the hype hype bandwagon. At the same time, though, it, it is coming. You know, the, the knowledge level in the industry is kind of permeating. People are starting to get their heads around it and really understand what it means for them as individuals.
1: Well, a, a fellow I know, um, he, he doesn't know much about uh, Bitcoin, which we'll talk about yep. what that is in a minute. Uh, but he, you know, found found a way to invest in it before Christmas and ended up mm-hmm. paying for his lovely overseas holiday through the sales. <laughs> so so there's, there's some speculation going on. First, let's back up the bus a little bit. So, blockchain you yep. run a blockchain studio. What yep. is blockchain?
2: <laughs> um, well, a simple way to understand it. That's, is what, that's
1: it, what we're after. Yeah,
2: yeah. It's like a ledger. Um, you know, in, in accounting, you might have a ledger and you keep a record of transactions in that ledger.
1: So um, one, of those, one of those big old books that the accountant, yeah. has, the quill pen, would have had back in the day.
2: Exactly, but instead of it being like tucked away in your in your vault or in your office, it's a public ledger, and anyone who's part of the network um, can add transactions to that network as long as they follow the rules. And it's the rules that make blockchains um, really interesting. So, they, if you if you had a Bitcoin and I had a Bitcoin, for example, I, I, I could send a, a Bitcoin or a fraction of a Bitcoin to you. That would that would generate a message on network. The network would. Uh, pick up all all of those messages after around 10 minutes on bitcoin's blockchain um, would bundle them into a block of messages um, and it sends it out to the network um, and in the network computers check that the way the information is being added to that block is correct it's followed the rules um, and at the same time they race um, actually to find or to solve a problem and when they solve that problem they get the right to add that block to the chain and that block contains a reference to all the other transactions that have happened in the past so after a few blocks of, of um, information on on the network have joined up it's very hard to undo the information in it and you get two cool things out of this. One is this decentralized thing where you can have this public ledger that anyone can add information to as long as they follow the rules. It's, um, it's unbroken and it's hard to, uh, to hack. Um, it's kind of like you know, taking a chicken or a bunch of chickens and making them into chicken McNuggets and then trying to make them back into a chicken again. That would be what it would be kind of like if you wanted to undo the transactions in a blockchain.
1: You've made made me hungry for chickens. Um, (laughs) I I, I will say we didn't quite hit the target of explaining things simply. But but listening to you there, um, am I right if I say, okay, we're we're going to invent a a coin called Vaughn coin, let's Mm -hmm. call it that, and it's going to live or it's going to use blockchain technology Mm -hmm. and there's going to be a hundred Vaughn coins and I'm Mm -hmm. going to give them I'm I'm going to I'm a good guy. I'm going to give them to 99 other people. Everyone's going to have one Vaughn coin, Mm -hmm. but everyone will also have a little list of who owns all the Vaughn coins. So far, so good. And then let's say Vaughn wants to give Aaron his one and only Vaughn coin. I give it to you. And in the act of giving it to you, every one of those hundred people gets told, hey, Aaron's now got two Vaughan coins, including Vaughan's old one, and Vaughan mm. has got none. And then if the next morning I, I try and give someone a Vaughan coin, they'll go, wait a minute, we all know that you've got none, and we all know yep. that Aaron's got two. Is that, a, is that in, right. a, in a nutshell?
2: Yeah, that's a really good explanation. Um, of the, the, that's the kind of initial use case for- um, Is, is, for the, is, is the currency exchange. one. Yeah, so, yeah so, with the currency.
1: So the comparison is though, in in the, the current system, I need an intermediary. I need I need a bank. So I, w- when I say when I say to you, hey Aaron, I'm going to give you ten dollars, you you go. No, I don't believe you, mate. Um, yeah. You need to, I, I need to tell my bank, my trusted bank, to give you the ten dollars, and you go. Yep, I, I trust the bank, and and that's that. But in this in this blockchain world, we don't need that that central authority. That's what you're saying, right?
2: That's correct. Yeah. So it gives us um, ability to have these uh, processes where we don't need an intermediary, and we can directly integrate, you know, um, and uh, transact with counterparties, genuinely peer-to-peer. And so you can now look at a whole bunch of processes where information is exchanged or value is exchanged, um, where there is a middle man, and you can start to cut those middle men up.
1: Or, or indeed mid- middle women, because it's not the 19th it's century. Middle anymore. things. So <laughs> I, I don't know how much of a student of blockchain history you are, but when when did this all emerge? It feels like I don't know. We've been reading about it for five years, maybe.
2: Yeah. Well, um, actually, the the kind of technology goes goes a long way back, and it's actually just a bunch of stuff that's been around for a while, but put together in a different way. Um, the first kind of popular, let's say, mainstream implementation was Bitcoin's blockchain around uh, nine years ago now, and so. Uh, a guy, Hitoshi. So no one knows who
1: he is. Um, oh, we should we should we should we should just pause on that. So the yeah. the guy, there's this guy, right? Uh, and what, what's yeah, his name? More or not? <laughs> what what's uh, his or her, Hitoshi her name? Nakamura. Hitoshi Nakamura, who yeah. may or may not exist, may or may not yep. be a, a Japanese-sounding uh, guy. <laughs> maybe may a you know maybe may the maybe the, may the, the the Catholic Church, maybe the Vatican. Okay. Who knows? Yep. So they, 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 he or he or they or she came up with Bitcoin.
2: Yeah. So they published a white paper, which is like a, a you know document explaining the system, um, and some source code. And then from there, anyone could pick up that code and start running a blockchain node um, to process these transactions. And it really just grew from there. Um, no, no one really knows who, who who they were if it was a single person or a group of people, um, and they've never ever touched their the coins, the ones that they minted initially and or mined initially in the early days of the chain, I think there's about a million um, bitcoins sitting under this um, account, um, which is that, worth how much?
1: Make me feel now? sick. How much? Yeah,
2: <laughs> billions.
1: Billions. So we, we we kind of kind of succeeded, kind of failed in the in the sim, simple blockchain yeah. explanation. Let's go for a simple Bitcoin ex, uh, explanation. So in, in my Example, I just said I magicked up 100 Vaughan coins and gave yeah. them to 99 friends and kept one. But in the real world, how does a cryptocurrency work? How do the coins come into being? We hear a lot about Bitcoin mining.
2: Yeah, so um, there are two two ways generally that coins can come into being. One's mining and the other is, is minting or forging. So mining is like, um, is the process I was describing earlier actually, which is, every time a block gets added to the chain, the computer that added that block or the address that had the right to add that block is rewarded with some Bitcoins. So the protocol, the rules of the software say that um, every time a block is added will give someone a reward for adding that block. And that gives people an economic incentive to be part of the network. Um, as those coins go up in value, then their their work that they're doing in the network, the computing power they're providing, the checking of the transactions, the holding of the database, they get this reward. And this reward is, is a Bitcoin, or a bunch of Bitcoin. Um, and so when you have that, then you could you know go into, they go into account and you could spend them like we talked about earlier. The other way is minting, which is you create, pre-create a bunch of um, coins in a contract, a smart contract, this is a special type of application has some of the same features of the blockchain that are immutable you can't change the code once it's deployed into the network so you could mint your 100 boing coins send them out there um, and have those exist on on a blockchain
1: i'm quite excited i might do this before bedtime um <laughs> the, the the mining side of it yep. there's there's interesting parallels there between real gold mining mm. in that in the early days of Bitcoin, the amount of computing resource needed to, to, um, to mine a Bitcoin was relatively low and yep. easy to find, sort of like you turn up to the gold fields and there's nuggets lying everywhere. But as yep. as the years pass, more and more and more energy, or literally energy, because pe- people need electricity for their computers, uh, is required to find the bitcoins or to, yep. to, to mine the bitcoins. So, and, and I guess that's analogous to those enormous gold dredges that scoured out the, the, the South Island rivers or the enormous open-cast gold mines we have these days, right?
2: Yeah, so they call that um, proof of work, which is... Um, It's really just a way to say that we proved that a real machine, like a real computer, spent some real electricity to solve this problem. And it stops the network being attacked by spammers who might set up lots of virtual identities to try and overtake the network, to to overthrow the consensus of the network and, and take that 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 uh, coin that you gave me and reassign it to themselves without the authority to do it hey just so that's just, just the energy costs come from it's an economic <laughs> you know disincentive to try and fake the information on the chain
1: it, it, it adds some value now speaking of value, just before we go, go to an ad um yep. well that's value in two senses of the word right? <laughs> so let's say I've, I've got a whole entire bitcoin which is worth yep. you know some several thousands of dollars i think mm. H- how do i then spend it
2: yeah, well, you would spend it just like you would your um, money in your in your bank
1: account. Well, McDonald's a, McDonald's drive-through. I'll have a, a quarter pound of combo, please. <laughs> not not quite.
2: Although, uh, watch this space. Um, I think uh, generally two people would have a wallet, like yourself and another person, um, where your Bitcoin would sit. You have an address, like an account number in your bank, and you would know my account number. You'd put that into your your wallet application, tell it how much Bitcoin you want to send me, and sign that message with your private key. And if, and and if you happen it to it
1: be a, a, if you happen to be a Maserati dealer, then I could use that to buy a Maserati from you. Absolutely, that's something to think about. In the break, uh, back real soon with Aaron McDonald from Centrality.
0: The latest apps, the World Wide Web. It's Sunday Social with Vaughn Davis.
1: Hey, welcome back to Sunday Social. Before the break, we're talking to Aaron McDonald from Auckland Blockchain Studio, Centrality, about blockchain being a distributed ledger where everyone knows what everyone else has got so you don't necessarily need a bank. And we illustrated that with Vaughan Coin, which um, I, can, I can now announce publicly is making its initial coin offering at midnight tonight. Aaron, Centrality, um, you run a company that yep. specialises in blockchain applications, but I, I get the idea it's it's not currencies, it's not coins.
2: Yeah, that's right. Um, blockchains um, have evolved since the Bitcoin blockchain, and now you can do uh, even cooler things. You can create decentralised applications. So all of the properties we, we had in Coin, we can now apply to an app. Um, so that means you could create an Uber without the Uber or an Airbnb without the Airbnb and have... Really, truly peer-to-peer um, economies, where we're all owners or kind of participants in these networks um, that we create together. And
1: so, so, we so I get, I get how that might how they operate. Yeah, I get how that might work. So, an, an Uber, you know, uh, a socialist, a socialized Uber, where you know every every Uber operator is an equal owner of the system, and value is sort of exchanged across it. But Someone's got to build that, and yep. someone's got to get value for building that. How, how does that work when when it's an Uber without the Uber?
2: Yeah, well, that's, that's a great thing. So the developers who build these applications are also kind of participants in these e- economic ecosystems. So you have, say, Ethereum as, a, as another type of um, blockchain out there. There are hundreds, thousands of developers all over the world contributing to the, to the network, improving it, uh, running it you know, running the infrastructure underneath it, and they're all incentivized by the same thing as the, the users of these applications. The value of the network goes up, their contribution to it goes up, and the holding they have of the reward, the currency that, that the network operates on, goes up in value.
1: Goes up as well. So back to centrality, what you've, you've got, what, 70 or 80 people there in Auckland? Mm. Yep. What are they doing? What are you working on?
2: Yeah they're they're software engineers mostly um, and they're working on I guess the building blocks for these decentralized applications. So we have our own blockchain technology that we've been developing between our our office here in in New Zealand and our one up in London and that's called Plug. It's a new type of blockchain um, and it does lots of cool things um, that enable different types of applications. We want to bring Um, mainstream things that you do every day in the blockchain so kind of push it well beyond the currency use cases or financial use cases so that you could have your entire life running on a decentralized platform and all the things that you would do on your normal day-to-day basis could run on this um, on this blockchain.
1: So we're 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 still being quite abstract give me give me a vision of um, something I might do in a couple of years if you know your blockchain plug is is an everyday um, building building block for you know for, for the, the transactions we make in life. how yeah, might ho- it affect me?
2: yeah hopefully like you wouldn't necessarily even notice the dis- difference because you would just go and use the apps and the technology you use today but underpinning that would be a decentralized framework so the uber example is a good one keep coming back to that but you could be booking your cab making the payment you know, going on that ride, racing the driver, all of the things that you do today, except um, the economic model underneath that would be decentralized.
1: Which presumably is going to be a fairer model for the participants when you don't yeah. have something like a bank or a credit card company, um, you know, charging charging for those transactions. Yeah, I think um,
2: there'll still be a role for, for banks in the future, um, but they'll just have to change, you know, as technology comes along, um, people's roles in, in the ecosystems have to adjust and, and transform. You know, the banks of today aren't the same as the banks of, you know, 100 years ago, and that will continue to happen. I think people will still need people, and, and there will still be processes that people are involved with, and brands will still be things that are trusted. So um, banks will just have to change the way they operate, and the, the areas they add value will have to change as well. And But it should be a fair deal
1: for all of us. That's yeah. the key. So the, the value of blockchain, so we've, we've talked about transactions, you know, transactions, um, you know either, either financial transactions or accommodation or transport or whatever. Identity is an important part and I, and I was reading about the idea of the identity of produce, the identity of things like everything from a bottle of wine to a, uh, a tin of New Zealand milk powder to an apple. Mm. And in the same way that the the Vaughan coin's identity and ownership is tracked through Vaughan coin, we could do that with an apple or a bottle of wine or or some um, you know some milk powder, right?
2: Yeah, that's right. It's um, it's one of the most exciting things actually, and it's probably one of the earliest use cases I think that will go mainstream. Um, we one of those building blocks I mentioned that we're building is called Single Source, and this is essentially an identity framework. So, we're building these tools so that if you're just a regular old developer who hasn't had much experience with blockchain you can just start using this stuff and incorporating it into your processes and we're working with produce um suppliers uh automotive companies because because uh, fake spare parts are a big issue
1: right
2: yeah so all these things pharmaceutical companies to um create systems where they can track these um, items improve the provenance of them and make sure they're not fakes and kind of know where they are in the supply chain and automate a whole bunch of processes around those things as well.
1: Which actually seems like an immediate real world problem that's waiting to be solved rather than whatever problem it was that Bitcoin solved.
2: Yeah I mean I think um, the practical implications when you've got the the, the decentralized apps or these smart contracts are are much much greater um, and they are there are real everyday problems, and and we're coming across them all the time. Um, where this technology can help solve or improve the process.
1: So let, let's talk about centrality, and let's talk about how you used coins as a mean uh, a means of raising money for the business, and 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 the the story behind that.
0: Yeah,
2: it was um, pretty wild well ride. Um, we had um, been building our platform software for about uh, eighteen months, and uh, and we're going to kind of pass the point of where you kind of prove that you had something and you wanted to scale up. Um, And in the blockchain space, there's a way to raise funds called an initial coin offering. So you can essentially um, sell um, a token, which gives people um, the rights to do certain things in your network. And the best way to explain that would be kind of like a postage stamp. You can go and buy some postage stamps from the, the postal service, and I can use that stamp to send mail across the network. Um, and our token works kind of like that. It's called a, a utility token. So it's the the postage stamp or the fuel or the power to drive the transactions in the network or the activity in the network. But but so it's pre-sold uh, these.
1: Yeah, and but it's fair to say that the speculation sort of. Um Took place, and I guess to use your postage stamp analogy, um, the the coins for centrality were trading hands at you know at penny black sort of levels rather than the one dollar you know fast post stamp levels pretty pretty quickly.
2: Yeah, we um we created about 1.2 billion of these, and we sold around 65% of them to the um, investors in the business. And they are obviously in there for different reasons. Some of them are developers, some of them are companies that are using our software. Um, Some of them are pure investors or speculators. There's a lot of that going on in this space at the moment. Um, And we raised around um, 100 million uh, US dollars from the issue of these things, which we're now using to create the next versions of these software and invest in applications on the network so that
1: that's that's literally 100 million dollars in real money that flowed into your company or 100 million dollars in other coins yeah
2: so it came in as cryptocurrency that's how these token issues work um it's like an automated process on the on the blockchain and then we convert um, that into into cash and a bunch of other hedging instruments to to actually run the business and pay our staff. And
1: yeah, I was going to say that because as much as you you know you must all like um, uh, blockchain based currencies, you, you you can't really you know pay your mortgage with them just yet, can you? Not quite. <laughs> so so what have you sold? You've you've had all this yeah. money coming in. You've been working yeah. on, uh, making software for two two years, give or take. What what have you what have you actually sold?
2: Yeah, it's, it's, so it's the rights to the. To the um, utility of the
1: network. Industry. No, I don't, I don't. I don't mean the coins. I mean oh. to, to end users. To these, you know, you've talked about um, yeah. working with, you know, um, primary producers, yeah. and there was mention of government somewhere along the line. Mm. Uh, yeah. What have you made? What have you sold?
2: Yeah. So we we um, build software, and it's kind of a different a different model to what you would normally expect, where someone would say build something, and then you might pay a monthly fee for that thing. Um, you don't. You don't really kind of have that type of relationship necessarily with the customers. They become consumers of the network and the value you're getting is that the network's getting utility. So more people are using your postage stamps. If more people use the postage stamps and there's a fixed number of postage stamps, then,
1: then, the, va- the, then the value goes up. So, goes up. So, so to flip it around then, what what has someone done that's of interest with your postage stamps with your network so far?
2: Yeah, the, um, like the identity project that's going on at the moment is a really interesting one. Um, we've got people building uh, healthcare applications where you can store your, your medical data and share that and monetize that without having to be owned by a, a corporation. Um, we've got people working on transport solutions to um, to help create a new type of economic model to ease congestion or bring um, network capacity in, on, in at the right time. We've got people... Tracking plastic pallets and and crates across a, a delivery network. There's um, uh, companies using it in fast fast food services. Now you talking? Yeah. <laughs> um, there's all sorts of cases. We have about twenty or so different applications on the go at the moment across um, across com- companies in New Zealand and around the world.
1: Okay, well, it, it sounds like we should hook up in uh, six months or so when, when all these have, have taken off and you've become very, very wealthy indeed, or you're on the <laughs> bones of your bum with a tin cup on Queen Street. Hey, Aaron MacDonald from Centrality, thank you so much for joining me tonight on Sunday Social. Cool. Thanks, Vaughn. Thanks for the time. You're welcome. Hey,
0: Navi- Navigating the digi- digital, digital landscape. landscape. Sunday Social with Vaughan Davis.
1: Hey, navigating that digital landscape since ages ago. And just remember, text Vaughan to 3333 3, 3, 3 to vote for me on tweeting with the stars. Big Sunday social. Welcome to Kate Owen. Happy birthday plus one. Thank you. Good to have you back.
0: Good to be back. Yeah,
1: good. I, I'm, I'm really impressed that I've dragged you away from the TV screen tonight.
0: <laughs> well, I was just sitting uh, out in the green room there, watching, excited. I'm afraid to say for the three people that are listening.
1: Who no! No! Are- Tuning well, out right now? Well here's the thing. They're listening in the future. So what what they're doing, <laughs> they're listening to us on Monday morning on the pod, on, on the podcast. It's good. That is that is that is the way to do it. Hey, social media influencers. It's almost um it's like it's like calling someone a guru or calling yourself a guru. Social media influencers have um come under a bit of flack recently.
0: Yes. It's interesting. Uh so basically you know influences are anyone who has influence over another person via social media um and they can kind of come in two major tiers the the top tier are people who are probably celebrities in other places.
1: Famous anyway, they were famous going in. Famous
0: going in, all and uh, yeah, exactly. They'd be prime examples. So they've jumped on Instagram and they've got themselves a million followers. But it makes sense because they uh, also have other channels that they're big in. Uh, and then you get these micro influencers. Now sometimes they cross over. Now this is start... some
1: this is a little bit oxymoronic. Yes. So micro influencer. So I'm um, I'm not very influential at all. You
0: are, but with a very select group of people. Okay. It's
1: very exclusive. You make me feel better.
0: Yeah, I try. Uh, so basically these micro-influencers that sometimes become big-scale, millions of follow- followers influencers, but these micro-ones, uh, they could be influence- influential in a particular subject, but often not just general i like to follow this person Uh, and they too are trying to on sell their tweets and instagram statuses to to clients basically make some money off having a handful of influencers
1: which is actually pretty trendy stuff so you know uh, my day job is in advertising and marketing and you know every every other every other day seems a client wants to come up with an influencer strategy and get you know get their product or service in the hands of of people who tweet about it. But but Facebook, of all people, or certainly one, one chap from Facebook, Neil Stewart, uh going to poo-poo the whole thing.
0: Yeah, he doesn't believe in the power of these micro-influencers. Micro so he th- he's kind of saying, this isn't a real thing. You shouldn't be paying money uh, as if you own uh, a product. You shouldn't be paying these people to tweet or Facebook or Instagram about your product. He thinks it's a big waste of time.
1: Well, you, you've, you've worked in this area yourself. Where, where, do you, where do you stand on it? I mean, if, if you had a hundred dollars to spend and you had a product let's say it's uh, i don't know a, a, a new fancy water glass and you <laughs> thought you know what i'm gonna do i'm gonna give that to vaughn and i'm gonna give him a hundred dollars and say hey vaughn tweet about that water glass and your followers will see it does that does that feel like money well spent or, or would you spend that hundred dollars in a different way
0: uh <laughs> I guess the thing is, if you had a lot of people who potentially made very big water glass purchases, even if there were only 100 of them, those are the 100 people I want to reach. So by by giving you my $100 and I get 100 sales out of it, that's actually good return on investment. And it makes a lot of sense. The fact is, there are not a lot of influencers about water glasses, as an example. We probably picked a bad example. Probably picked a bad example. But the thing is... um, But
1: there are about makeup and and wine and and, and categories like that.
0: There are, yes. So sometimes it makes a lot of sense depending on who the person's followers are. But I think what you'll find nine times out of 10, it could be bots, it could be um, just random. The followers, yeah. Yeah, it could be anything. So, um, you know, if you're looking for a reach campaign, let's just say you said to me that you wanted to reach a million people by close a business tomorrow, it's not going to happen through micro-influencers. You, you're
1: just going to buy some Google AdWords or run some Facebook ads, right?
0: Yeah, and mm. we're getting more and more into these kind of integrated campaigns. So you see people talking about the latest ice cream, for example. Not only do you see Google display ads, or you might even see an ad on Tally or the radio, um, but you will see a lot of influencers talking about that. And Facebook's questioning the legitimacy of that as a as a media tool.
1: No, fair enough. I've, I've got to say, when you when you were talking about bots and, and dodgy followers, uh, I saw a piece of content come up today from a, a New Zealand influencer who, who I won't name because you know she's not the point, but um, saying, hey, I'm I'm doing this piece of branded content with, with you know, I've teamed up. It's always teaming hmm. up, isn't it? I've teamed up. with it. Yeah, we've done a content partnership with this company, and I went. I've never heard of her, so I was interested and went to her personal Facebook page and. 90% of the comments were from people who, when I checked their profile, were based in India. They're all men, just talking about how pretty she is. Mm. And, and which was a million miles away from the uh, customers that this New Zealand operation of this brand was trying to attract. Mm. So on the face of it, it, looks great. She's got, you know, 100,000 people following her. But is that of any value? I should get some influencers in. Ooh. I think so. And they'll come because they're, they're watching TV at the moment and they haven't heard me say nasty things about them. Um, Facebook, it's a bit of a Facebook night. Um, I was interested yesterday to pick up my phone and, well, in fact, I never put it down, so I didn't pick it up. I just turned it on. And next to the comments on a news story was something new. So along with the normal like, share, um, or, you know, smiley icon thing options was a little up arrow and a little down arrow. That was interesting,
0: have you seen that Kate? I have, I haven't had much of a play with it. Um, but, you know, upvoting and downvoting is quite common to a few social networks. Reddit uses it, um, YouTube uses it. Mm. Oh
1: yeah, yeah, thumbs up, thumbs down.
0: Yeah, yeah. so, um, and people have been asking for a dislike button for a really long time. Probably since, you know, 10 years, 10 years ago or so. Um, and I think, yeah, pretty much know, ever
1: it, since I joined Facebook, there's been a demand for a, for a, for a dislike button.
0: Yeah. And not, it's, not
1: just coincidence. It's
0: a whole other level of data for Facebook to collect on us, if I'm being cynical, yep. about all the things you don't like. Um, but it's also an opportunity to affect the, the algorithm. So, you know, with your voting things up or down, makes them more likely to be seen by other people or less likely to be seen. So it's putting a bit of power back into the hand of the users, which I always like.
1: I thought it was interesting. And, and, and it was very specifically targeted. Well, firstly, as far as I can tell some new zealand users not all but some on mobile are the only people in the world with this feature so i've been doing a bit of research in the last 24 hours no one's talking about it anywhere in the world it's not in the media or it's not in facebook blogs so it's been trialed
0: in new zealand and that's something that happens now and then eh? yeah they trial quite a few new features in new zealand i guess we're a bit of a um a a microcosm for an audience you know in terms of we've got enough diversity to make it worth its while but we're still kind of tucked away and and all that kind of jazz. So that, it's not. Wouldn't be the first time they've tried stuff on us.
1: So yeah, we feel quite special. But the the other thing that that. Caught my interest is it only seems to appear this up arrow down arrow and and, and I know you I, I can I can hear the clicking I can hear the clicking at home as you as you're listening to this uh, it's not on your desktop it's only on your Facebook app and it's only released yesterday so if you if you've got your Facebook app update it and you see this but it's only on the comments not the content itself you can upvote and downvote the comments and as far as I can tell only the comments on news stories so it's Maybe part of Facebook's push to think carefully about what sort of news is visible to us and what sort of news isn't, because that's, that's one of the biggest powers they've got, right?
0: Well, they indicated a couple of months ago when they were big on uh, weeding out fake news that they were going to give users an opportunity to upvote and downvote news sources according to uh, to who they thought were legitimate. Um, I'm yet to see that, and it's, and it's outworking, and this could be tying into that. Yep.
1: Would you use it? Or would you just think, hey, Facebook's just, uh, just trying to harvest my data and my, my one click's not going to make any difference anyway?
0: Well, those two aren't mutually exclusive. Just because it's useless doesn't mean I won't use it.
1: No, that's true. Um, speaking, speaking of Facebook harvesting things and people getting grumpy about Facebook harvesting things, um, delete Facebook. Now, we, we both know, I'm sure, people who in the last three months have gone, right, I'm deleting Facebook. You must know people who have done that. I think Paul um, Brislin did it for about nine minutes.
0: Oh, Paul Brislin, eh? Um, look, I, uh, on, uh, as a Facebook page admin, you can see why people unlike your page. Mm-hmm. And I have noticed account deactivation has gone up quite substantially. I'm also seeing account reactivation as a reason for people liking your page going up as well. That's so interesting. how long does the deactivation actually last.
1: Well the numbers are in and it turned out it doesn't last very long at all and Facebook is doing really well nicely despite what the chattering classes would say. um, Their users are up And uh, more importantly for them, their profit is up 49% uh, or revenue up 49% from last year. So they're only selling eyeballs. So there's more eyeballs to sell. So despite what everyone is saying about Facebook is evil, Facebook's doing this with my data, I protest. It's still where your mates are. It's still where your grandkids are. It's still where the kittens are. And people are still coming.
0: Mm. Look, I I think... um we yet to see a challenger and that's the key to this if there was a legit, legitimate challenger if everyone was on there Then we'd start to see some movement, but there's just nowhere to go there, there
1: isn't there's, there's there's blue sky I mean L- LinkedIn's making some strides, but in a very specific part of the world, you know a part of your life I suppose Vero Vero did you look at Vero not the insurance company I signed the, the multi-billionaire backed um, Image-driven thing. You, I signed up. You yeah. signed up.
0: I used it for about two hours.
1: Oh, okay. I used it for a
0: day in total. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you know, I want to believe.
1: Yeah, but, it's um, a conundrum, isn't it? There can't there can't be a new champion until there is a new champion, or until uh, the US government does a does a you know a, a Bell AT and thing and just you know breaks up big Facebook after the break. The apps and websites you just have to have to make it through till Monday back soon
0: the internet explained it's Sunday social with Vaughan Davis on radio live
1: and welcome back to Sunday social yes indeed don't worry be happy there's a bazillion apps out there most of them are rubbish not the ones that Kate and I've been looking at this week hey Kate well in fact not the websites we're going to start with the website um ancestry dna fair enough they came knocking uh, about a year ago i think uh, to, you know to my radio live email address and uh, i'm an influencer you see kate oh right i'm really. a dna i'm a dna influencer i'm influential in the in the field of dna and they said hey would you like to have your dna sequenced and we can find out where you really come from and maybe uh, connect no, you with some you
0: no,
1: long lost no. cousin i thought i i, no. I give spit to all no. sorts of people oh, i'll give you some gone. spit no. I gave them some spit, no. and they told me I was a Viking. Oh. That seemed like a fair exchange. Are you telling me that there's a downside? Maybe. Oh.
0: How much do you value your DNA?
1: Well.
0: Also, do you commit murder? These two are not unrelated questions.
1: That's interesting. Um, I, I, I'm not going to rule it in, and I'm not going to rule it out.
0: <laughs> good call, The goal.
1: idea, The idea of one day committing murder. Because I, I'm a man of high passions.
0: Let's... Let's just leave that there, I think. And the reason why I ask about murder is because um, you've heard about the Sunshine Killer. Yes. Yes. Um, finally being arrested. This, is, this is the
1: guy murder. in the States.
0: Yeah, crime spree in the D- 70s. Did you read the book
1: Mindhunter or watch the TV series? I uh, watched the TV series. He featured. Right. He featured as an unsolved case. Ah. Huh. Yeah.
0: Wow. He's, he's not unsolved anymore. He's now
1: solved. So he was he was brought in but this DNA link.
0: Yeah. So what's interesting is, is what police in the States were able to do was with the website um, that collects your spit, you send them off your spit, they are obviously able to track um, family units and groups of people uh, and categorise them. So even if you personally haven't given your DNA, they're able to look at your family and determine um, this family group is related to this DNA sample that we God.
1: So they, they had a crime scene DNA sample and they went, hmm, any matches? And, they, and so they went to Ancestry DNA and I guess search warranted the bejesus out of them. Mm. And the answer was we have no direct matches, but we have the siblings of that person.
0: Yeah, so they were able to look at the, the family unit and match the DNA that way, and uh, and then they were able to narrow that down according to the um, information that they had about the killer, um, you know, his look and, and, and age and, and details like that, and they were able to uh, arrest the Um, the killer, which is pretty cool.
1: So on the one hand, it's pretty cool because, um, you know, criminals deserve to be brought to justice, um, you know, both for reasons of natural justice and and for the sake of the many, many victims this guy had. On the other hand...
0: What if... What if it wasn't murder we were talking about? What if it was, um, I don't know, something the government decided all of a sudden was illegal Mm. and wanted to arrest everyone who had blue eyes? (gasps) That's me. Is it? It is. Wow may not be a murderer, but you do have blue eyes. I do have blue eyes. So, you know, me with my tinfoil hat on, which I like to regularly put on, um, I'm just wondering how could this be abused? How could this be taken advantage of? And that's where I get a little bit concerned. Because if I haven't opted in to be categorised, if I haven't given my DNA, but you can still kind of form a semblance of me through my family DNA... And then family also add additional information in there. So they're saying who their cousins are, they're saying the name and and birth date of their parents. So these uh, websites hold reasonably comprehensive um, views on who we are.
1: So so while a lot of us uh, are fairly private about, you know, Classic example, you, you uh, might tweet a picture of some package that's arrived in the mail but you're very careful to hide the address because I don't want people knowing where I live, yet I'm very happy to take this DNA test because the DNA fairy came and I've actually given away a truckload of information about myself, about my family and about my future descendants.
0: Mm. Do you know how long you gave them rights to use your DNA for?
1: Well, that's interesting because um I kind of read that afterwards uh, and then asked that my records be removed, and after a long and protracted process, they were are you sure? well, they they told me they were. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know do you know the the the, the 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 take-home message from this Kate. The take-home message really is... Don't murder. Don't murder. Yeah.
0: Don't I'm murder. down with that. Let's not.
1: Lead a blameless life. Don't even pre-murder because the the, uh, the pre-crime squad will come and get you and ancestry DNA will be complicit. Oh, there's one little ray of sunshine. Um, apparently here in New Zealand, uh, our privacy laws mean that the information cannot be used in that way because the, the bedrock of the Privacy Act is that private information must be used for the purposes for which it was collected. And unless you are giving it in order to be convicted as a murderer you're probably safe. Good. Now, if, this, if, if I had committed a murder, let's just say, and I wanted to email you about it, Kate, I would be a mug to just email it in the clear because, you know, anyone can accept that and read it and view it and, and you know, that's, that's the end of it.
0: Where are we going with this, Vaughan?
1: Gmail. Encrypted Gmail.
0: Okay. Talk to me.
1: This is a new feature from Google, and I know a lot of people use Gmail, that allows you to do two things that you couldn't do before. Uh, it allows you to send self-destructing Gmails. So that's like a, that's it's like like a, a Snapchat. It's like a Snapchat. Yeah. Without the, without the risky photo. Yeah.
0: Really? Or with the risky photo. With if the risky that's photo. The way you roll.
1: So if you're a Gmail user and you use it in the browser, look in the bottom right, there'll be a little padlock clock hybrid thing click on that and you can say okay I want Kate to be able to see this for for one minute after she receives it and after that it's gone although you know <laughs> no, you I can kind of screenshot, screenshot, screenshot it her, which you know, is, exactly, really what,
0: gone, is it's it? exactly what it's exactly
1: what people do with Snapchat isn't yeah. it exactly yeah. the same
0: I think that the key takeaway here again is, is just don't murder people
1: just don't have secrets. Just don't, just don't, don't murder, murder
0: people. people, and then
1: email about it. I, I'm writing this down. Wait a minute. Don't Make murder people. Notes. Don't email them about it, and don't have secrets. The the other feature though that they brought out, and I do quite like this, and this is this is just good commercial security, or if you want to, I don't know. Let's say you want to email, because quite quite often still in 2018 people share email accounts, yeah. you know. Mm-hmm. Vaughn and Spike at gmail.com, me and my dog. Um, let's say you want let's say it's Spike's birthday and you want to email Vaughn and Spike about um, you know, secret plans for a, a birthday party. Mm. You can put a password on that and then get Gmail to send the password to, to Vaughn's mobile number.
0: It's all a bit complicated. No, it? it's easy.
1: It's easy, it's quite good. It's quite good. So you can't open the email unless you've got the password. And I, I use this quite often with Microsoft Office. Did
0: you know Microsoft Office can do this? You're still using Microsoft Office?
1: Yes, actually, yeah. Well, stay away from oh me, Google Docs. Okay, all right. No, but it's quite neat. So, um, for my work, if yeah. we're dealing with sensitive material and the client, you know, quite often you sign a non-disclosure agreement and you want to send a document to the client, you can set a password that, without that password, you can't open the doc. All of the Microsoft Office um, applications support it.
0: Hmm, oh yeah, no, sorry. Um, yeah, you've been able to do that for ages. I know. I sorry, know. I thought we were talking about something new here. No,
1: the, the Gmail thing was new. The oh, Gmail yeah, thing right. was new. Yeah. But no, just because um, we know about it doesn't mean everyone knows about that's
0: it. That's true. I'm sorry. But, uh, yeah, no, look, I think um, security is important. I think the best thing you can do is keep your password secure. Don't make it password123.
1: Yes.
0: Uh, quietly can hear everyone changing their passwords right now, which yep. is good. Don't have the same password for everything and, uh, and use two-step authentication. I just keep coming back to that stuff. Be secure about, about your, your content. Be secure about your info.
1: Do you know the underpants rules for password protection?
0: <laughs> What's the underpants rule? This is
1: great. This is, this is all you ever need to know about passwords. Treat your passwords like you treat your underpants. Rule number one, don't share them with anyone else or show them to anyone else you don't trust. Mm-hmm. So far, so good. Don't leave them lying around mm-hmm. and change them often.
0: Like once a day?
1: Well, yeah. <laughs> That's the thing. That's the thing. Every time I get a password person on this show, and, and you know, about every six months we talk to security, they say, oh, yeah, you've got to have, you know, a long password, with multiple characters and change them off. Them. No one ever does it. No one ever does it. Mm. Cross your fingers and don't murder anybody. That's the takeout <laughs> for tonight, Kate. Don't murder anybody. Thank you so much, Kate Owen, for coming on the show. Thank you. Pleasure to have you. Birthday plus one. Aaron McDonald from Centrality. Sarah in the booth. Next up, Graham Hill. And the weekend Variety Wireless. I'm Vaughan Davis. Nighty Night.